Welcome to the Like Dragons Did They Fight podcast. This is part two with Kelly Webster. Last time I introduced you to Kelly, we talked about the incredible awakening that we have when we recognize that not every voice in our head is a trusted voice. And what a game changer that can be in our lives once we recognize what our truth, our divine truth, really sounds like and we're able to defend ourselves from what the adversary does to be such a brain bully in our life. We talked all about that and our truth tool that we use. It's a tool um, in life-changing services that we use in our Eternal Warriors program and in our Mothers Who Know program that help us to manage all of our thoughts and take, it's an action plan of what we can do when we are noticing that that's the brain bully again and here's some steps i take to train myself to speak my truth and hear my truth and feel my truth instead of always be tormented by these voices in my head that i shouldn't be trusting we also talked about um, how kelly's journey of just discovering that every voice in your head is a trusted voice led her to this inspiration to write a children's book uh two of them alexander and rebecca's trick two separate books one for a boy one for a girl just highlighting how important it is for us to know that it's important to manage our thoughts and understand that that we, we don't have to think negative things about ourselves, that we can turn that around. And to be aware that we get to be in charge of how we think and how we feel and how we act. And that some of those things that are negative in our lives are coming from the adversary. And that's so incredible, actually. I think all negative things in our lives come from the adversary. Can I just redo that? It really does feel like that to me. Like, I just don't think that I purposely put negative things in my head. And I don't think God ever puts negative things in my head. So who else is there? It's definitely not the Holy Ghost, right? So I'm going to just lay that right where it belongs, which is it's the adversary who does that. But last time we talked, I just thought one of the reasons that I wanted to do a part two with Kelly is because Kelly's one of my friends in my life um, because I've known her for several years. Well, she mentioned last time that her husband had had a stroke. From the time her husband had a stroke till now, almost 10 years. And so, Every time I would contact Kelly, you know how months go by and then you bump into your friend again, I would just think something outstanding, miraculous, unbelievable is going to be coming out in this conversation because it just seems like that's the way of Kelly's life since her husband had a stroke. And so Kelly, if you would just remind us a little bit about I'm, I'm this woman with this many kids and this is how long I've been married, all that kind of stuff. So we just remember, oh, who Kelly is. And then, yeah. 
Okay, I'm this woman. <laughs> I'm Kelly Webster. I um, am 58 years old. I've been married for 40 years to my sweet husband, 10 of which, um, as we mentioned before, he's been disabled. Um, I have three children and five grandchildren, and they are the love of my life. Um, and I want to say not just my grandchildren, my children as well. <laughs> I, I get in trouble sometimes that um, that my kids think that they're chopped liver because I just want the grandkids. But I do love my kids too. That's it. I, yeah, I live in Arizona in a little town called Casa Grande. It's smack dab in the middle of Phoenix and Tucson. So that's where I'm residing at this point in my life. Yes, and we knew, we've known each other for years because we've lived in Utah together in the same ward, the same area, and now you live in Arizona. But will you just kind of, um, just let's let the Spirit direct us on where we go as far as what you share. Once your husband had a stroke, one of the things you shared with me that was so miraculous to me, because when I think of like pioneer ladies, and the things that they went through back in the day, that's something you shared in our last podcast is how you were on a pioneer trek walking along and you were all by yourself and you had your first realization that there are people from the other side that are cheering us on because you heard them say, you're not alone. We're right here with you. You can do this. And it helped you to walk all those miles with your really injured feet to the home base where all the other truckers had already gotten and you were by yourself walking to, to get there. But one of the things when I think of you, Kelly, I think she's kind of like a modern day pioneer lady. Like the things she's been through that I know since your husband's stroke and the way that you've been able to do that is just amazing. Like one of the things I thought, as you told me just to start maybe here is when your husband had a stroke, I couldn't believe the courage you had to have really high levels of expectation for him and his healing as well as love for him, you know, high levels of love, but high expectations that he was going to heal this much. But in order for him to do that, he had to have someone that kind of required it, held a line with him. And as you described it, I thought, I don't know if I could have done that. I, I think I would have just said, oh, honey, let's just do what's comfortable. Here, have another milkshake. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so just start, start maybe like how you – part of that whole process of doing better with what was hard going on in your life, especially, you know, at an age where all your kids are grown and you're thinking, now we're going to just do fun things. We don't have our kids. We're going to grow old together and do fun things. And we're going to be active together and do things. It just totally did not work out like that. Um, and we, I know I can get in a place in my life where you can feel like, so much consternation inside that it's like, I did not sign up for this. This is not okay with me. 
Yeah. Oh, when, when he first had the stroke, which is when I had some momentous uh, leaps and bounds in spiritual training, um, I started out, I couldn't get my hands on enough books about the pioneers. It's so funny that you would mention that because it really helped me kept, keep perspective. Um, if Mike had had the same um, stroke 20 years earlier, even he would have just been dead. They would not have been able to help him uh, at all in his recovery. He just would have died. And so I felt really, really blessed to know that. But um, keeping that perspective, I had a roof over my head. I had warm blankets. I got fed way too much food that was good from the Ward family. And, um, and so those physical things, those, those things were being met for me. Um, but one of, the, one of the biggest takeaways I had at the beginning of Mike's stroke was um, that Heavenly Father um, has us go through hard things for our own benefit. Um, when Mike first um, got out of the hospital two and a half months after his stroke, he suffered um, severe um, pain if you even touched his his skin it it was um his nerves were completely hyperactive and and so it was extremely painful for him and um as part of his therapy i was required to take a a wash rag and um scrub his body um his um shoulders his face his arm um that was so hyperly um in pain you know um and he would just cry and he would just say kelly why are you torturing me and i knew that if i didn't do this he was always going to be in this kind of pain the therapist had explained to me that the more i scrubbed his arm and his shoulder and the, the parts of his body that were paralyzed the more i i did that um the more his nerves would become desensitized to the pain and that um eventually he wouldn't um react negatively at all to the touch and so as often as I could, I would have to go through that process of um, having him go through what he considered torture, but I knew that it was best for him. And that gave me such a greater insight um, to the way the Lord works with us when I went through that process. And I'm sure that every parent has had to discipline a child and gone through a, a little bit of that experience themselves. But um, hearing my sweet husband cry out in pain and knowing that I had to do it, I had to scrub that arm with that rag, even though it was so painful for him, was for his best and highest good, has helped me so much in the adversity that's come to my life since then. So that was one of the biggest takeaways that I had um, about my relationship with Heavenly Father and the adversity that he'd allowed to come into my life.
and there's one other situation that had to do with helping him to be, well, not 100% independent, but independent enough to care for himself, to dress himself, uh, so, oh, that yeah. you, so that you could actually <laughs> also be independent from him. You you know, he you guys could yeah. not have to be together 24-7 so that he could. Yes, and that has blessed my life, and trust me, it's blessed my kids' life because they haven't had to be the one to come in and, and do it. We had an issue about socks. It took us almost three months to get him to be able to put on his shirt by himself and uh, probably another month after that before he could put on his pants by himself. But it took a full six months for us to be able to get him to put on his socks. His socks, uh, if you ever want to have a fun relay game, have a kid try and put on a sock one-handed and only have the use of half of his body to do it um, because the other half is paralyzed. It is not easy. And he would just scream at me, Kelly, this would be so easy for you. You need, you need to help me put on my socks. And I just, and it's, I know it's because of that experience that I went through uh, with the desensitizing that I knew that for his sake and for my sake, we had to get him to the point where he could put on his own socks. And so we struggled. He would get mad at me and I would not give in. And <laughs> it um, got to be a real blessing um, when that hour was up that it would take him to put on his socks. I would go into my room and he would, <laughs> he would uh, get his shoes on and um, we would um, not talk to each other. <laughs> For, for half the day um but eventually just like a kid learning how to tie a shoe eventually it got to the point where he absolutely 100 percent can put on his socks without any issues and um he finally thanked me for not giving up on him because it, it made life much easier much easier on him and on me um when I needed to go out of town, not to have to call people in to take care of him um, and his basic needs, that he was able to do those things for himself. So again, I, um, that experience helped me to understand uh, adversity in my life and how the Lord um, allows it and um, helps us through it. But sometimes his help looks like it's kind of mean. I'm sure Mike many times swore under his breath. Um, he never, I've never in my life and still haven't heard him swear in uh, out loud, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there was times when um, he was trying to learn how to put on his socks that he swore under his breath at me. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Yeah. And then um, just the adjustment of, now I have to figure out, you know, because he was still employed, still working, and he'd had this very successful, important career that he'd worked very hard in, but he went from being a respected, you know, capable employee to different. 
but he still, you wanted him to work till he could get some kind of benefit, right? That you guys were trying to get him to the point where he could still keep working. Um, anyway. Yeah, no, we did have miracles. He had to, he, he did um, really struggle because um, he had to relearn how to type one-handed. He had to be able to prove, um, he worked in, um, missiles. Um, so in truth, he was a rocket scientist <laughs> and, um, they were nuclear missiles and, you know, someone who'd had such a massive amount of brain damage, um, wasn't exactly trusted to be in that capacity. And so he had to go through nearly a year's worth of testing and prodding and psychological evaluations to make sure that he was still capable of um, doing his job. His stroke was on the um, right side of his brain, which houses all the creative uh, part of your psyche. And um, Mike, was a real left-brained thinker so um thankfully nearly everything he needed to be able to go back to work was still um 100 intact it was just the um the ability to move his body and type and those types of things that made it super difficult for his um co-workers to trust him um toward the end of um, seven years of him actually working um, past his stroke, which everybody at the rehab hospital um, is still in awe that he was able to go back to work. But um, the reason that he ended up having to get his disability retirement was because it takes a right brain uh, in the way that he did his job. He was not able to learn new things and and keep um working in that field so that was the time that we decided um that we had to get into a disability retirement and so you'd been in this home that you were so happy with and had lived in and raised your family in and why did you decide um i think we need to go live in a trailer um, we had horrendous debts, horrendous debts, um, from Mike's, um, stroke. And two years later, he'd also had, uh, an accident where he broke his hip. And so we were out of, um, work for almost three months then as well. And so <laughs> we, we had a lot of medical bills, um, and in order to pay those medical bills, I had refinanced the house. And so my house payment was um, much, much more than it would have been at that time in our life because we needed to pay those medical bills off. Um, when we sat down with the, um, I, I don't know what to, her official uh, name would be, but she's the person that talks with people when they're getting ready to retire and explains how the process is going to go and what your retirement uh, amount will be and what you can expect from the government once it's um, passed, um, the retirement um, 
the disability retirement has passed because we had to get approval from the government in order to to take the disability retirement. Anyway, when we sat down with her and she showed us what we would be making, it was probably about 30% of what we were making at the time. And, um, and that's approximate. It's been a while, so I can't know exact numbers, but it, it scared the EBGBs out of me. Um, there was no way I was going to be able to um, keep that home with the new house payments that I was making um, and still have any kind of a, a life. Um, you have to know that I love to play and, and um, that takes many, I don't, I don't play real expensive, but I like to, I mean, I like to go on cruises and I like to um, be able to, go out to dinner once in a while and I I like to take my grandkids and do fun things and and I did not see that any of those things would be possible and for sure I would have to go to work if I wanted to keep that house so I made the decision and I am kind of a stinker I didn't even ask anybody else it was pretty selfish decision that um we were just going to have to move um somewhere somewhere else and rent the house out um because my house as you know uh, we live in a beautiful place i mean mountain green is just a spectacular place to live it's it's beautiful and so the rent is quite high there and i could rent somewhere else for much cheaper um, and and make money to pay off the house um, if if I were willing to do that so that's why I made the decision um, that that's what was going to have to happen because I I enjoyed my life um, the way it was with the money that we had coming in and I wasn't willing to give up the playing um, just because the money wasn't there so yeah, and so, so you thought, okay, so just take us through just the process of, well, we tried to live there, and then we tried to live there, and then we ended up living there, and the miracle of where you live now. Okay, and I'll just really do the Reader's Digest version, okay. and I just have to put it out there that um, I know, I have to say this first, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord guided me in every single one of these steps, even though it sounds insane. So with that precursor, I'll give you the play-by-play. The play. Okay. So as soon as I left that office, I got onto the computer to see if I could find any place um, in Morgan, because I really felt like I needed to... Um, keep my support system um and long story short the only thing i found that was any less than what i was going to be renting my house for was an old beat up trailer super super old and really beat up but twenty five thousand dollars sounded like a steal to be able to have a place in morgan where i was five minutes away from my kids 
and it would give me the opportunity to rent my um, house. Uh, we had a basement apartment and an upstairs apartment um, that would keep me in the same kind of um, fiscal um, lifestyle that I was used to. And so I went about um, having miracle after miracle after miracle um, fixing the trailer up to, to be exactly what I needed and wanted and had so much help from so many people. But um, 10, 10 days after we moved into the trailer, um, we found that it had black mold and we had to move out. And there were no um, apartments available in the Morgan apartment buildings. And there was really um, nowhere for me to go back home to because my upstairs and my downstairs apartments were both rented out and under contract for at least another year. So my son uh, invited me to live with him until we could find um, an apartment down in Ogden. Um, well, within days of moving out, we found out that there was going to be another trailer available in the trailer court. So um, we thought about um, just asking Andy and Jen if we could stay with them until this one became available. And they were building a house. The people living in that trailer were building a house. And um, long story short, it took five months for them to get their house built. Um, before the other trailer um, was available. Well, I went to the trailer with every expectation of moving in to that trailer. And when I walked into the door, I heard another voice. <laughs> and it said to me, I don't expect you to live in a trailer, Kelly. Um, and then I started crying because I didn't know what I was going to do or how I was going to tell Andy and Jen, um, change of plans, not going to move into this trailer. So I went home and I told them and they just looked at me and um, I, they were furious. They were absolutely furious because they'd held on having us live with them for five months. Well, shortly after that, I, I got an idea about um, moving to Arizona um, and um, being able to uh, possibly rent out um, my sister's mother-in-law's house um, and work for my brother-in-law, who is a, an accountant, to pay for my rent until we could figure out what I could do until I could get back into the basement apartment at my mountain green home. So we moved to Arizona right after Christmas. Um, and in the process of living in the sunshine <laughs> in the middle of winter, I got it in my head that uh, I should probably, while I'm down here, look and see if there's something suitable here that we could do and then um i could do the um what do they call it here they call it winter visitors but snowbird snowbird is what we call it in utah um i, I could be a snowbird we could live in arizona in the winter <laughs> and utah in the summer um 
So I started getting on the internet and found that the housing market in Casa Grande was much, much less expensive. And so we found a house, another huge fixer upper, I mean, big time fixer upper house um, that was $125,000. But when we went into it, we saw that it was going to need at least another thirty, dollars $40,000 to fix it. But by that time, we were retired, and we had access to our retirement fund. And um, so with my brother-in-law being an accountant, I asked him uh, what he felt like would be the best course of action, um, whether I should just buy the house outright or whether I should um, get a loan, um, what what did he think I should do? He told me that the best thing to do would probably be the refinance, the mountain greenhouse and um, uh, outright pay for this house um, that we were looking at and take enough money out of the mountain greenhouse to make the improvements as well. And that would be a, a good tax shelter. So that's what we did. Um, and we were in the process of uh, getting the loan and everything ready when um, we were at this house that needed all the fixing. And um, my realtor got a beep on his phone app and he looked at it and he said, oh, Kelly, there's a house across the street. Um, that just got on the market. Um, let me text him and see, would you like to look at it? And I said, sure, sure. I'm, I'm looking, I'll, I'll look. Um, anyway, this, this house that was across the street from the, the house, um, was only $110,000. It, um, it was, um, right next to the pool uh, which was in the subdivision, which was a really big thing for me because I love, love, love swimming. And um, when I walked into the house, I absolutely was taken aback. It was in mint condition, absolutely pristine. And the furniture was gorgeous. And um, the landscaping was all done. And the paint had just been applied. There was no flaws anywhere even the carpet which was white berber had no stains not one stain and um i i said is it too late is it too late to get out of out of my um contract and he said no kelly today's the last day that we could get out of your other contract without having to pay a penalty and I said, let's do it. It just was a no-brainer to go from a big fixer-upper again, and I just fixed up that trailer, to coming into a house that was ready to move in. And I um, had gotten rid of all of my furniture, Karen, everything I owned practically in the mountain greenhouse to be able to go from a, I think my mountain greenhouse is like a 2,900 square foot house down to a 700 foot square uh, trailer. So I had nothing really um, to, to be able to do the um, decorating and, and getting this house um, livable. But um, so I, when I came outside, I asked, I asked the realtor um, 
if if he felt um that it was a little underpriced and he said yeah it's way underpriced he said um the couple that owned this house passed away and the children that own it um didn't want to have to hassle and so they just put it up for really cheap so they could sell it fast and i thought maybe they don't want to have to deal with having to move all this furniture and everything either so i said will you please contact them and see if they'd be willing to sell me their furniture and when he um, got on the line with the realtor that had posted the um, for sale sign, um, she explained to him that the $110,000 for this house included all of the furniture, all of the dishes, everything in the house came with the house. And so I started oh. bawling my head off. I know. <laughs> That you can I just I just have to pause there because I'm like, did you just hear that, listeners? Like when Kelly told me that, I was like, you have got to be to be joking because I'd seen her go through all this stretch, and you know, it's just it would be so uncomfortable and embarrassing to think I'm sorry, children, I'm living with you, and I have to stay here longer, you know, and then. I'm moving here. Well, no, we can't because it's unlivable and, and, oh, this will be better and it's the right thing. And then to get there and think, no, I don't mean for you to live here, Kelly. Uh, and then think, okay, what then? And then think, okay, we found our little place in Arizona and it's totally going to be down the lane that we're used to, which is all we can afford is real fixer uppers, you know? So we'll, that's, that'll work. We'll go with that one. It'll do. And, oh, it is such glorious evidence that it's like God was saying, I can see you, Kelly. When I, yeah. Oh, it's like he was, when he said, I don't mean for you to live in a trailer. It was like, wait till you see what I mean for you to live in. Yes. Yes. I mean, and that's exactly how I felt. I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, I'd held it together pretty well when I walked through the house. I, had the, I had, was absolutely flooded with the spirit that this was the home that Heavenly Father had for me. But when the realtor told me that it came furnished <laughs> <laughs> with everything that I had already given away, um, I I lost it. I was so overwhelmed with gratitude. I'm still, I still, every time I think about it, I just cry. I just absolutely cry at the love that I have felt and still do feel every time I think about the blessing of this house. And, um, and again, um, knowing that this house was paid for when um, it was only seven months later, our, um, retirement fund the one that i was going to use to be able to make the bigger house payments <laughs> in the mountain greenhouse um was stolen um through identity theft and the government um retirement fund other i mean, it just doesn't make any sense but this is honestly the truth is not insured um there was nothing that we could do we got a lawyer, we got the um, congressman, we um, 
wrote letters to um, the president. <laughs> we tried everything that we knew what to do to try and recover this money well, and, and it made sense for you to, to do all those things because your husband was military he worked with he worked with the military yeah. right so it made sense to to take all right those people be thinking well why did you do that so it's because you know you you were like we've served the country in the way that we've been employed our whole lives right so to go that yeah that, to go that angle makes sense but just so this was before you found, before God said, this is your house, Kelly. This is before that happened. Right? Nope. This is, okay. The TSP got stolen after we found the house. Okay. What is after TSP we found stand for? TSP is, it's like a 401k. Okay. okay. Sorry. It's, yeah. Thrift Savings Plan is what it stands for, okay. but it's a 401k for the, for the government workers. And, um. Anyway, for months and months, uh, we went through that absolute faith uh, faith crisis for me um, trial. But um, I, I want to get this out. The thing that got me very quickly out of that spin that we talk about in Eternal Wires. Um, was something that the Lord um, inspired me to do um, as I was restarting the Book of Mormon again. And um, I call it my like unto me's. And in every chapter in the Book of Mormon, uh, as I would read it each morning doing my power goals, um, I would choose at least one of those um, scripture verses and liken it unto myself. And write a little uh, blurb <laughs> about how this scripture applied to me personally in my life and and what um, the Lord had done for me and as I began doing that process and um, my retirement fund was stolen in um, November of 2017 um, and I started this process in the middle of January. So for about two and a half months, I was really, really struggling. But as I started doing this process and writing down all of the things that uh, applied to that scripture, the evidence of the Lord's involvement in my life was front and center. It absolutely... Um, brought him into my life on a daily basis where I could feel him near me and reassuring me through this remembrance um, of how he'd taken me through this course before. And, um, and at that time, I recognized um, what I talked about before about the uh, you've gone through a Zion's camp experience. It's kind of the way um, Brigham Young felt um, when he said that he had gone through uh, this March with Joseph Smith, learning how to um, do what he needed to do um, to lead the camp. Well, going through these remembrances helped me remember and know how 
the Lord works with me and how he's been my, my side so that I could get through this even bigger, harder experience of having my TSP stolen. Um, and um, when we got back to Utah for the summer, um, everything in the house started falling apart. <laughs> and I just have to say this, the Lord knows me. I, I was so adamant that I was never going to let go of that mountain greenhouse. Um, we'd had so many miracles with Mike's recovery and being able to even live in that house again after his stroke. Um, he went from not being able to walk to be able to uh, walk. And um, that house is got three levels and, and you have to walk up uh, 12 steps to get up to the, to the bedrooms and you have to walk up seven or eight steps just to get to the front door. So for him to be able to not only learn how to walk again, but to be able to take steps and move back into the house again was such a miracle. And I, I had said to the Lord, I'll never move out of this house. I will always remember the, the blessing of that you gave us and to be able to live in this house. But it's amazing how the Lord can change your heart because by the end of that summer, I hated that house. <laughs> so, so tired of thinking about, I need to get renters. I need to get, I need to get um, this yard cleaned up. I need to uh, get a mailbox fixed, which thankfully my sweet Karen's husband and her son did for me. And, um, and, I wanted to sell it. I just, if I sold it and I knew I sold it, um, I would have all the money that um, I had lost and I'd be back in a situation where I could still play with my grandkids and have fun and not be so stressed about my financial situation. So I put it on the market and went to my um, daughter's house um, because it was my granddaughter's birthday in Atlanta. And the second day that I was in Atlanta, I got a phone call from um, someone who'd seen the ad and he asked me if um, they could come and see it tonight. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm in Atlanta. Um, my husband's home alone, but I just don't, I wouldn't want you to see, see things um, the way they are um, until I'm home and can get things cleaned up. And um, he said to me, Sister Webster, this is Colton Woody. I know all about your husband and we don't care if it's a mess. <laughs> we don't care if it's clean. And I said, Colton, you understand I have a renter upstairs. I can't show you the upstairs. It doesn't matter, Sister Webster. And I thought, okay. <laughs> if it had been anyone else there is no way I would have let them come in and looked at the house without me being there and able to show it and so um I I gave my go ahead told Mike they were coming and before I got home from Atlanta um Colton's in-laws who are the ones that bought the house had an offer ready and um I literally did not have to do any paperwork myself even because Colton was a realtor and he did all the paperwork for free. So I was able to get um, <coughs> the appraised value of my house minus $10,000 for the deck. I forgot to mention that the deck, which had um, 
began to collapse because of a windstorm um, while we were there that summer um, needed to be replaced. And so they took that money out um, so that they could replace the deck. So I literally um, was able within um, the course of that time able to put back that money um, that had been stolen almost almost the full amount that had been stolen was um, put back into my bank account and I was able to go back to um, Arizona um, feeling so unbelievably blessed that not only did my house sell and that I had money back in the bank but that it sold in such a miraculous way that my children could witness and see um, how the Lord had blessed me and wanted me to be here in Arizona and um, anyway that's not the end of the story because as you know Karen um, Oh gosh, what's it been about a month ago out of the blue with absolutely no expectation. I got a phone call (laughs) right then. Like with all your, what was it? I want to say TSA, but that's like a TSP. All of my TSP. TSP. Um, Yes. You were like, we're in a total place of it's gone. I'm good. I've come to a place. We sold our house. Yes, and I was feeling so blessed and so good with everything. And so I even, I mean, I even went through a little forgiveness session um, where I i totally gave over the people who had stolen my TSP to the Lord so that I did not have to worry about any of that again. And anyway, they called, the, the caseworker um, called to let me know that 100% of the money that had been stolen out of our retirement account was now back in our retirement account. And that um, wow. I still cry when I think about this. That now, not only am I going to be able to um, be secure and happy and safe with playing and doing things with my kids but now I can look out um and see who else might need to be blessed a little bit and um and not feel one hesitancy about doing it and um anyway yeah it's been a journey it's been an amazing journey but just like I talked about at the beginning um there were many, many times throughout this last, especially the last three years, where I was like Mike, getting my arm scrubbed, feeling like I was being absolutely tortured. And why, why, why does it have to be so painful? But because of my experience with Mike, I had that faith that, sorry. I had that faith that just like me scrubbing his arm, the Lord knew what was best. He knew what was going to be the best thing for me and that this was part of the very painful process. But in the end, it was going to be so much better. And I just want to witness that it is, it is. I, one of the things this just this month that I feel so, so grateful for was that all my food storage, including my freezer, 
I had left in the mountain greenhouse for us to just have there um, for uh, emergencies. But because we moved, um, when I got back from the death of my mother, uh, I did not have to worry because when I had left to go be with my mother before she passed, there were no restrictions and people were um, having no problems buying food at the grocery store. By the time I came back, there was no food available in our area. People had totally panicked and there was nothing left on the shelves. But um, all of that food storage I'd saved for all those years got packed up last October and moved to Mountain Green. I'm from Mountain Green to Arizona. And so it was safely here in my Arizona house, ready to use when uh, I needed it. And um, again, I just sit here and wonder how on earth could I be so blessed? <laughs> and so that's just, that's my story. Such a good story, and you should stick with that story. I am. Yeah, that's I am. my story, and I'm sticking to it. You know, I have to express my gratitude for Kelly, and what an example she's been of. I'm a student of the Spirit, and she's put purposeful things in her life in place that have helped her to be that student. You know, she's really practiced a gratitude journal every day for years. She's done these like unto me, like as I'm reading in a chapter, I'm going to notice how does my life relate in any way to one of these verses and then write about it. So the spirit can teach her, here's how God's been in your life. Uh, she just has so many special practices that make her available to the spirit to notice, here's how God's hand in your, in your life. And it doesn't mean she just, you know, has been walking around feeling like my life isn't hard at all. She's been through some really hard things, but the things that she's recognized she can do that make the hard um, more bearable and actually men are that they might have joy. Like you are supposed to have joy even in hard. Like she's figured out really miraculous ways to do that and it's been such an incredible example to me and it's such a testimony to something that i have just really have a testimony of that we that i often say and it is just no matter how messy this gets there's always a message in your mess always a miracle in your mess but we can miss it if we don't make ourselves available to notice how God's trying to do his work with us. So thank you so much, Kelly, for, for sharing with us your story. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. <laughs>